What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Another Friday, another episode of Why Are We Bullish? Uh, I am still south of the border, south of many borders. Uh, I'm still down in Costa Rica. Uh, so that's the beach bum look. And uh, I've got all new guests on the show today. Very excited. Uh, you'll get to meet them momentarily. Uh, I've got my beverage going. So uh, happy Friday to you all. And of course, uh, this is live. Anything can happen. And, you know, we're a bunch of us are actually on not our typical Wi-Fi connection. So so we'll see how things go. Uh, but anything can happen. We're going to go ahead with it. So I defer to my friend Bill here. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, share, all those things, super important. They really do help get the show in front of more eyeballs. And without further ado, I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions. This is your daily session. Total the Bitcoin. Before we bring in our panel, let's take a look at where we are in the market right now. This is the Bitbo.io dashboard. We're sitting at $38,972 per coin. It's been ping-ponging a whole bunch. Uh, a single US dollar will pick you up 2,566 sats. 90.38% uh, of all Bitcoin have been mined. In terms of fees, 9 sats per byte. Next block up a little bit. But if you're willing to wait an hour, 1 sat per byte will still do you, of course. Uh, quick shout out to sponsors of the show. If you're in Canada, ShakePay is a super easy way to stack sats. Easy deposits with e-transfers, no deposit fees or withdrawal fees. Uh, what else? There's a link down below. Your first $100 purchase will get you 30 bucks for free. You can refer friends and get the same deal. And then you can shake your phone every single day for free sats. They've also got a sats back Visa card, which I use on the regular. So check them out. Uh, Ledin.io, you can use your Bitcoin for a ton of different services. In particular, if you're in a pinch and you need to get your hands on dollars but you don't want to sell your bitcoin because you know taxable event maybe you're buying back in at a higher price you can deposit bitcoin here get a loan of dollars to your bank account within 24 hours when you pay those dollars back you get back the same number of sats they also of course have their savings accounts their b2x offering you can check it all out down below uh, bit refill makes living on bitcoin a breeze i use it regularly uh, you can buy any gift card your little heart desires with bitcoin both on chain and lightning you earn sats back as you shop, and they also have a referral program to stack some extra sats in the process. Uh, Keystone, you know these guys, one of my favorite and most used hardware wallets. 100% air-gapped, meaning you don't plug it into anything internet-connected. It's all done offline via QR code, and that keeps the keys to your money safe and away from internet connections. Uh, highly recommend you, you upgrade to the Bitcoin-only firmware, and then it works beautifully with things like Blue Wallet, Wasabi, Sparrow, Spectre, Badass and a multi-sig. So check them out. Links are below. I do also have a tutorial on the thing. Uh, and then if you're backing up any important Bitcoin wallet, get it in steel, friends. Pieces of paper are not always your friend. Uh, you know, fire damage, water damage, all that stuff. Bill Foddle over at Privacy Pros can help you out there. Uh, with that, let's stop my rambling. I'm going to start bringing in our panel. Uh, we've got Pierre. We've got Cal. We've got Chris. And we've got Ben Part 2. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to have you all. 
Uh, let's do a quick round of intros. You've, you've now been shuffled in my view. So uh, we're going to go in a slightly different order, but that's okay. Uh, so maybe let's go to Pierre. Pierre, can you let people know who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So uh, I'm Pierre Corbin. Uh, I'm a full-time Bitcoiner, or try to be. Uh, I quit my uh, day job uh, last May to just focus on Bitcoin uh, education to start and many other kind of other projects. Uh, and my first project is actually a, a documentary film, full feature film uh, that is called The Great Reset and the Rise of Bitcoin um, that I recommend everyone watching. It's a very, uh, um, I mean, a lot of work was put into it. It's got a lot of views. We just crossed 500,000 views on YouTube. And uh, it won some uh, film festival and was selected to others, including a sunscreen film festival in uh, Florida. So very exciting. Uh, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And in, uh, I'm in yeah, El Salvador no worries, right now. So, you and, know, uh, I'm exploring Bitcoin, spending some <laughs> yeah, sats, you yeah, know, trying be... the Lightning Network. Yeah, absolutely. And I will, uh, I after the show, I'm going to link to your, your uh your uh, movie in the show notes so everybody be sure to check that out but either way uh your twitter handles uh on the screen right now so mm -hmm. give him a follow and uh and take a peek for uh that film that he put together because it's it's pretty awesome uh so let's uh jump down the line next cal you're up can you let people know who you are and what you do how's it going guys my name is cal casa i'm in ethiopia right now Addis Ababa, and uh, i work on open source Bitcoin education, um, as well as uh, have a role with Hoseki. I am a head of business development where I can't quite tell you exactly what we do. We're still in stealth mode, uh, but we should be releasing our product uh, soon. So happy to be here, guys. Uh, good to see you, man. And good to see you uh, again. I think the last time I saw you in person would have been at the Human Rights Foundation um, uh, Freedom Forum down in Miami last October, is that right? That's right. That's right. The Oslo uh, Freedom Forum in, in Miami. Yeah. Good yeah. to see you. And are you going to, is there any chance you're going to be in Miami again in a month's time for, for the conference? Or I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I'll be there. Yeah. I think I'm going to make a stop in Austin uh, first uh, just mm -hmm. to round out the month. And then I'll join you guys out in, in, in Miami. Awesome, man. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, let's uh, jump down to uh, Ben part two. Uh, I, another friend of mine that I, I frequently see often in the same city where I reside. So Ben, welcome. Uh, it's a shame that we don't see each other more in person. Let's fix that. But uh, let people know who we are and what you do. Thanks, Ben. Uh, good to be here. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben Gagnon. I'm the chief mining officer for BitFarms. Uh, basically, we're just a big globally uh, traded public company. Uh, Bitcoin mining company. I mean, we operate a number of Bitcoin mining facilities out in Quebec, Washington State. I'm right now in Argentina, uh, taking a look at our new build out down here in Argentina. Uh, was in Paraguay two days ago, looking at our new site down there. We're just a, a big old global Bitcoin mining company. Uh, so yeah. great to be here. You love to see it, man. Well, welcome. Glad to have you. And uh, Argentina, huh? Interesting. I'm. I'm. I would love to get down there. Maybe I will someday and and uh, peek around. It's very carnivore friendly. So uh, <laughs> awesome. You'll have a good time. Perfect. And Chris, uh, dude, thank you for being here. Can you let everybody know who you are, what you do? Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Chris Smith. Um, 
I'm a senior um, at Lipscomb University. I'm actually still a full-time student. I graduate in May. Um, I'm also working full-time for Bitcoin Magazine and getting ready for the Bitcoin Conference, as you mentioned, here in April in Miami. Um, and mostly what I do is I do a lot of media partnerships um, with the conference and just getting ready for everything that's about to happen in Miami. It's going to be the largest, I guess, gathering of Bitcoiners ever in the whole entire world. And we're just super stoked to have everyone down there. Awesome. I'm I'm beyond excited for it. Uh, last year was was incredible seeing so many awesome people. Um, so, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I guess I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you in person as well. Um, sounds like uh, it's going to be a bit of a party. So, yeah, guys. Uh, we are here. We're ready for Why Are We Bullish? Those that are watching that are unfamiliar, uh, just a little rundown. Basically, everybody here is coming with a reason why they're bullish, something that they're excited about in and around the Bitcoin space. So uh, the way that we run this thing, very simply, we go by the three R's. Somebody is going to give a reason why they're bullish. Then altogether, we're going to riff on that reason. And then we're going to rotate to the next person until we've all had a turn. So really, really simple. And I'm going to get us started as per uh, tradition. And my reason for being bullish this week is, um, I guess, a bit of a personal experience, uh, given that I'm, I'm currently in Costa Rica, but I've experienced this multiple other places that I've been, is just the, the hospitality and the warmth of Bitcoiners that I meet around the globe. And um, I, I want to give a shout out to two individuals that I've met in, in basically over the course of the past week um, within Costa Rica. And uh, I, I'm actually even going to bring up their Twitter accounts right now just to give them a shout out. So Adrian Barrick, uh, him and his family literally had my family over. He's never like, he doesn't know who I am. He just knew I was a Bitcoiner in town. And he was like, yo, come have dinner and come for a swim and everything. And uh, their family is awesome. They're they're big into Bitcoin. And um, he's a we'll call him a Canadian refugee uh, escape, escaping Ontario uh, to come be in Costa Rica. And he couldn't be a nicer guy. And uh, and fun fact, he's writing some Bitcoin fiction. Uh, so he's about halfway done his book. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And I also want to give a, a shout out to I'll just call him uh, his by his handle here, JPB. Uh, again, another Canadian refugee uh, in Costa Rica, funny enough. Um, and he took, uh, again, his whole family. He's come down to Costa Rica here. But um, I was honored to be the first Bitcoiner that he's ever spoken to in person. Um, he's been uh, into the Bitcoin space the past year and a half, two years. Um, he's fallen hard down the rabbit hole. He's done a lot of reading, thousands of hours of reading, podcasts, all this kind of stuff. He's now mining. Um, and he's just an all around awesome guy. So, you know, if you're on Twitter and you want to uh, make acquaintances with a couple uh, good Bitcoiners and then check these guys out. But um, I was going to say that um, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that anywhere you go around the globe, you, you can kind of just gravitate to and find um, some like-minded, incredible people 
uh, just by reaching out to the local Bitcoin community. And I've, I've experienced this in so many places and it always blows my mind that I can, wherever I am, reach out, say, hey, is, are there any Bitcoiners in town? Get linked up with somebody and then just sit down and have a, a fantastic hours long conversation about what we're passionate about um, and all of the extraneous things that come in with it. Um, and also experiencing uh, JPB's uh, first in-person chat with a, a Bitcoiner being that person for him, because I remember, you know, the first time I got to speak with somebody else who was as crazy as I was to to latch on to this this weird Internet money. Um, it was it was an interesting and life changing experience. And you, you have this moment of I'm not crazy. There's somebody else that's at least as crazy as me. And I got to chat and and fall down a rabbit hole with them for a few hours. And so uh, I think hopefully it was a good experience for him, but he seemed pretty excited to, to, to chat in person with another Bitcoiner. And so rather than just kind of leave it wide open, um, I'm kind of curious to get some of your takes on experiences you guys have had, either meeting Bitcoiners from different parts of the world and what that experience is like, or if you so please, maybe uh, tell me about the first time you ever got to speak to another Bitcoiner in person and, and what that was like. So um, I'll open it up to whoever wants to jump in first. But, you know, one of those two avenues that you want to take, feel free. I would love I'm to have to go. Let's okay. let's do let's do Chris and then we'll do Cal. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I would love to jump in here. Um, I'm going to tell this story because I love this story. Um, it was the first time that I walked into the Bitcoin magazine office uh, and we were actually talking about that um, the other day and how working in Bitcoin is really a peace of mind. Um, and it's not only monetary freedom, it's freedom for your mind. Um, and the first time you work in Bitcoin, the first time you work surrounding that common goal, um, being around an environment where everyone is like-minded is truly, is truly something that is very bullish in my opinion. Um, because not only are people working for revenue, people working for profit, um, obviously everybody has to make money, but there's a bigger goal in mind. Um, and being in an environment where that resonates to every single person who you work with, um, you can always get grounded in that fact. And so back to when I first um, walked into the office, it was like no environment I had ever been in before. Um, and I would go to say like Bitcoin meetups are that way as well. Um, I don't know if y'all have a Bitcoin meetup that you go to, but if you don't, I highly suggest you find one. Or if you can't find one, you start one yourself because um, it is so awesome to just put yourself in an environment with those like-minded individuals um, where you can truly find peace of mind. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And uh, I, definitely, I agree with your point about if there's no meetup near you, just start one. Even if there's like one person that, that uh, shows up the first time, it's, it's well worth it. So yeah, absolutely. Let's... Um, Cal, uh, you can, you were about to say something as well. Feel free to jump in. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I fell down the rabbit hole in uh, early 2020. And I guess because of that, I didn't really have any 
you know, in life, you know, kind of in real life friends or, or anyone to kind of chat with. Um, so it wasn't until uh, probably early uh, 2021 when uh, Unchained, I happened to be in Austin, Texas, uh, Unchained Capital uh, at the time was holding, you know, bit devs, um, still is, I think, uh, in a new uh, location. So yeah, walking into that, you know, their office on, on I think it's Fifth Street, um, and you know, it, it's a large office, but because there were so many Bitcoiners, it was just looked so small, right? It felt so small, and um, you know, and, and just walking in and having access to, you know, Parker Lewis and Jimmy Song, and you know, I was kind of um, in the midst of my heroes, right? So. It was a pretty great, you know, experience uh, to have, and um, it kind of helped me, you know, um, kind of tie myself into the community. Um, so now, when I, you know, travel around or I'm in Ethiopia, um, I always have a, a good reference point. I have, I always have good kind of sources and citations. Um, so you know, I was really kind of blessed to have that um, opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, and, and you bring up a good point um, of, of being surrounded by some of the people that you may have kind of watched or listened to prior. Um, Bitcoiners are especially ones that have have been around the block are, are incredibly accessible. Um, so surprisingly to me, um, I think my first time I, I met Adam back at Bitcoin 2019 and I'm, th- I'm like, here's the guy that was cited in the white paper. Um, that has basically been part of the cypherpunk movement, has built a, a large portion of, of the backbone of, of, you know, what Bitcoin was based on. And, uh, and I, I just walked up to him, to him and started chatting. And you can get those, um, if you can read social cues, you know, it, you know if you're in a conversation with somebody, um, often if they don't know you, you you get that where the body is kind of tilted and the feet are pacing facing away and they might feel like they're basically signaling like oh, okay well I'm, I'm ready to exit the conversation and go chat to other people and Adam back is a guy who you know he's 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 been around the block everybody wants to chat with him and uh, he he definitely has more important people to talk to than than me um, but no I I walked up to him and it was just, straight attention focus he sat there and talked to me for like 20 minutes half an hour without with no indication that he had anywhere else he would rather be um and it was it was astounding to me like the how generous bitcoiners are with their time and and there's been many other examples of that but um uh it, it definitely strikes me uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll pass it, uh, to, um, our other two panelists to comment. Maybe I'll do, if, if it's okay, I'll do Pierre first and then Ben. Uh, but, but Pierre, do you want to comment either on, uh, you know, your first chat with a, another Bitcoiner or, or how it's been meeting Bitcoiners abroad? Yeah. So, um, so I've been traveling a lot the past year. I've, uh, I basically don't have a home anymore. I just travel. And, um, so I've met a few on the way, but, uh, very interesting is uh, meeting them here in El Salvador because um, I'm just around the corner from the original Bitcoin beach. So, I mean, you can just head there and talk Bitcoin, whatever you want. They're very open people. Um, and just with uh, anyone that you meet, because everyone that is here is also just a bunch of travelers. Um, everyone goes for drinks and just wants to meet others. So there's a lot of meeting people and there's a lot of Bitcoiners, obviously. And it's um, no, it's really it's really great, the, the interactions you can have. And I was having a conversation with... Um, with a guy, he's called Dave, 
um, that is uh, from Canada, in fact, but lives in the U.S. Uh, and uh, and he, you know, he's in his uh, I don't know late forties or so. Uh, he's just uh, invested and very interested in, in Bitcoin. And and he was saying how this is the place where like he has to be, had to come visit, and has to come back because it's just like uh, attending Woodstock or any kind of major events that happen. It's uh, it's the source of uh, uh, you know uh, nation state adoption and. Uh, and there's just a lot of passion, even in someone that doesn't necessarily work in in, in Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, just uh, all around great, great interactions with people here. Awesome, awesome. And I'll toss it to Ben last. Uh, any comments on on any of this that you'd like to throw in? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I always think Bitcoin is just such a great filter for people. Um, if you meet somebody and they're a Bitcoiner and they're into Bitcoin, you know that they just get it, right? Uh, most of the people that you meet in the world chances are they don't they don't get it or haven't gotten it yet um and I, i'd say it's only true for bitcoiners you know it's not true for crypto in general um but when you meet another bitcoiner uh you're all on the same page and you know it's it's a big club and we're all in it and it's permissionless um i mean it's you know you're right it's very accessible um every time when i was getting started in this industry and i've been all over the world meeting people building mining facilities and um, you know, striking strategic relationships and all this stuff. I'm always surprised every time when I walk up to somebody and I start talking and it's, you know, hey, this is the head of this company. This is the founder of this thing, you know, and everybody's, you know, all in this together. Um, pretty amazing thing to find those like-minded people. It's, it's like having a Tinder app and, you know, you can just filter out 99% of people that you don't want to talk to without doing any swiping. So it's, it's just a great filter. Yeah, got Bitcoin meetups are the the ultimate swipe right, I, I would like to say. So uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. No swiping required. Uh, and I, you know what? I will say that while it's it's great meeting Bitcoiners in person, one person I really want to meet. Um, you know, my my favorite no coiner is David Wong, and uh, he is back again this week, and he's my favorite person. He he never misses a show. He hates Bitcoin, but he's here every Friday. So, David, it's really good to see you. Thank you. David would like everybody to know that Bitcoin is a cult. They smile. They talk of nice things. They appeared to be in apartments and use cheap mining heat. Um, so thank you, David. Uh, love you, man. Glad you made it. Uh, but with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap up that topic. Uh, everybody in the chat, welcome. I see Yellow. Yellow has joined us. Uh, Yellow, good to see you. We can relax now. You're here. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and good to see the Canadian Bitcoiners in here. Canadian Bitcoiners had some nice things to say about uh, uh, Ben Gagnon. He's uh, they're saying that you're one of the smartest minds in Bitcoin mining, and Bitfarms is very lucky to have you on staff. So. Uh, Shout out to to Len and Joey over at Canadian Bitcoiners. You guys are awesome. And I can't wait. I'm having you guys on uh, again sometime soon in the coming weeks. So uh, excited to see you guys again. But um, with that, let's let's change gears. Let's jump to our next topic. Um, uh, Pierre, you're next on my screen. I hope I'm not uh, throwing you under the bus or, or catching <laughs> off guard here, but I'm going to toss it to you. Uh, what are you excited about this week, man? What, what are you bullish about? Um, so I'd say uh, Bitcoin uh, education. Um, I want to focus on the topic of, of my film and uh, um, the the fact that Bitcoin education can also get just more mainstream. Um, uh, 
by this, I mean the fact, celebrating the fact that the film was selected for Sunscreen Film Festival, which is, I mean, an achievement I never thought would uh, ever, you know, happen for this film because it's, uh, I mean, it's a really big deal. So, um, so very, very exciting. Yeah, that's that's the page of uh, the the Twitter page of the of the film, uh, where you can you know have access to the to the website and so on, and um, yeah, and uh, it's just uh, you know the idea that as Bitcoiners we for some crazy reason I don't know we just want to educate people about Bitcoin and 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 you know how it works, and that's exactly what I wanted to do with this film. You know, just uh, um, be able to. Uh, uh, in a short, concise way, put the information that I thought was relevant uh, today for people, uh, which meant understanding um, our economy, the state we're at right now, inspired on um, uh, an article written by Dylan Leclerc, but also a video, How the Economic Machine Works, uh, made by Ray Dalio. And um, just um, refreshing this with the current data so people really understand what's happening, um, what strategies are usually taken by central banks and where we're at, which is the limit of where we can be. Um, and um, and then uh, um, explain everything um, um, about the inflation, CPI, uh, and Bitcoin, and simply how Bitcoin fits uh, fits into this picture. Which, uh, I'm, you know, the conclusion of the film, of course, is very biased. But the conclusion of the film is essentially that you know it's a uh, infinite divided by 21 million Bitcoin, um, and um, just showing how and who is getting into Bitcoin now. And why eventually everyone will will get into Bitcoin simply because, um, I mean, if you compare it to fiat, fiat you have 100% certainty that it will lose value. Bitcoin against that, in theory, should appreciate. And on top of that, at the economical uh, context, um, which uh, which is that you know we have already now a big um, you know crisis that is going to hit us, the stock market that is that is dropping. Um, and um, that this money will eventually have to exit. And where is it going to go? Um, my bet is on Bitcoin simply because traditionally this used to go towards bonds and government obligations. This now will be a bit harder since no one really can, can trust them and bonds in some places are uh, negative uh, uh, yielding and so on. So yeah, so um, th then just this film, I'm very happy about the success of it and uh, happy that Bitcoiners are willing to push it forward and, and just spread the word about it uh, as much as possible. Um, yeah. And yeah. I was going to say, not only are they willing to push it forward, but uh, they're willing to watch it at, at, on date night with their wife. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't that's, know if that's, that's Joey or Len, but, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's Len. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was on their podcast and, and Len was, uh, was telling this uh, very amusing story and in fact recommended anyone watching to watch it uh, on Valentine's Day with their date. So, <laughs> you know, I guess it means it's good enough, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know, and and uh, beyond that, I'm also uh, um, happy that a lot of Bitcoiners have reached out after making this film. Um, some are willing to help with some some translations uh, for the subtitles. I have also uh, one guy uh, from Russia that is uh, uh, doing a dubbing completely of the film, so that uh, you know people in Russia can also get a better understanding of what Bitcoin is, and, uh, uh, and so both for Russia and Ukraine, right? So I think it's very important, especially now, for them to be able to understand um, what Bitcoin is, how it works, yeah, and how it can benefit them. Um, so no, so yeah, really good, really good stuff. And uh, I'm also, um, 
planning on. We'll see how, how this uh, turns out. But for uh, the Bitcoin conference that I will attend as well, uh, I want to have a screening in a cinema nearby. Uh, hopefully have a bunch of Bitcoiners come around, watch it, you know, maybe just meet up to talk about the film, watch the film together and, you know, maybe a Q&A and something like that at the end. I would love that. Let me know if that happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, very, very high chances. Uh, like I'm already in touch with the cinema there, a big chain of cinemas. They're all good. The pricing is fine. Like I think, um, yeah, it's looking good. Awesome. Yeah. If you, if you get more details on that, shoot me a DM and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, if it's on, if, I'm, if I don't have other obligations, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be, uh, swing down to that one and, and try and rally the troops to, to come down. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely right on, on the, uh, on the education front, this, this drive of Bitcoiners to create and, and provide, uh, tools for those that maybe, you know, haven't gotten it yet the pre corners of the world, which there's so many, um, man, the, the explosion of good content like your film that has come out in even just between say 2017 and now is insane. Like I, I think of what was available when I kind of started in Bitcoin, like 2014, 15 in and around those times. And and holy crap, like it was, it was basically if you were not watching like a, a, an Andreas Antonopoulos talk, which, you know, even back then, those were few and far between. Like what else was there to like in terms of visual media? There just wasn't a lot to latch onto. And now it's like I could, I could have a 24 seven stream of videos and podcasts of the utmost like high end quality and I could never get through it all, which is incredible because the, when people start down that, that learning rabbit hole, um, they, they need good content and now there's no shortage of, and on top of that, I think the other big thing is the, the consistency of quality and message from the Bitcoin specific content, because the, the narrative on, you know, whatever other coin out there, it just, you know, it can flip flop and go to and fro. Even if you just look at Ethereum, the narrative has changed the umpteenth time in the past, like five years. Um, whereas Bitcoin is, is, has been pretty consistent and the, the, the ethos and the, the, the lessons that have been learned, there's a pretty, pretty cohesive narrative through the years of, of how things have gone and, and, and looking back in retrospect um, on, on things like the block size war and everything. There's, there's an excellent story to be told there. And a lot of people are doing it a lot of justice. And I'm very happy to see that. So um, I'll open it up to the panel. Uh, if anybody else wants to jump in on either Pierre's film or, or Bitcoin education in, in general, um, yeah, anybody who wants to jump jump in. Sure, I'll, I'll do it. Um, yeah, I think education is is super important and super key. I mean, we're swimming around in a world of, of misinformation. Uh, so to be able to deliver the correct information to people is is you know the key on how they get out of it. Um, super, super, super important to be you know doing that work. And I'm glad that other people are you know 
picking up that torch in a more meaningful way. I do think it's funny though, uh, that she said, you're happy that Bitcoiners are, you know, speaking up and, um, you know, chatting about Bitcoin because I haven't met a Bitcoiner that can stop talking about Bitcoin in my seven years. You know, it seems like once we, uh, once we find out and once somebody asks us about Bitcoin, it's it's like opening up the champagne bottle and it just keeps going and going and going and you can't get us to stop. So um, good to be doing it in a little bit more formal manner, Pierre, I think, and uh, reaching a broader audience instead of just all these one-on-ones that turn into rants. Um, nice to have a little bit of organization and structure to it. Absolutely. Uh, Chris or Cal, do you guys want to dive in? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll say something. I haven't watched your film yet, Pierre. Um, I'm definitely going to go watch it after this for sure. I'm super excited about that. Um, but I think it's really good, um, just the cinematic experience and the artistic nature of being a part of something that is worth being artistic about. Um, and I think that kind of separates Bitcoin from a class that it was to the class that it is now, because we see not only your film, but um, just artists in general. Um, people can't stop painting about about Bitcoin. Like Ben said, people can't stop talking about Bitcoin. People can't start stop making films about Bitcoin. And you see this kind of trend. And when creativity and a certain topic kind of get intertwined, um, I believe that makes the certain topic, this being Bitcoin, even more powerful than it was. Um, so I'm super excited to see your film and um, super excited that um, the people who are artistic are really taking advantage of this. Yeah, so actually, if I can just interrupt to your point, um, the, I've had people reach out to me on Twitter uh, saying, uh, so I'm a graphic designer, uh, I do illustrations, this kind of stuff, here's my work. Um, I made it my mission for 2022 to not let low quality visuals uh, out, uh, be out there when it comes to Bitcoin content. Uh, so reach out to me if ever you need uh, uh, any kind of new visuals for future projects. So yeah, definitely. Love that. <laughs> Cal, do you want to dive in here? Uh, yeah, just to say that, you know, I think, um, Pierre, you're absolutely right. Education is probably, the, you know, one of the most important things we can focus on. Um, and I'm a very visual learner. So I'm really happy to have documentaries like yours um, that I can, you know, put on repeat and fall asleep to and have, you know, it kind of come through through osmosis and all of these things. So I'm really glad to have content, you know, from podcasts. You know, really long form stuff um, that, you know, I could now use to kind of, you know, challenge even my own um, kind of mindset and thoughts on that. So, you know, thank you for, for being a creator and, and giving us uh, all of this art. Yeah, and, and also actually to, to that point, um, when working on the film, uh, so of course, you know, it took like over six months. Yeah, it was uh, quite a long process. And I had a lot of conversations with people and everyone was telling me, yeah, but don't you think, you know, it's better to have short content, you know, maybe have it in episodes and this kind of stuff. And and I just, uh, you know, I was, I was very stubborn. And I think I did very well to be that stubborn to have it a, a long feature because uh, it's it's important to have long content because it allows you to get deep into a topic directly, right? You have someone's attention, uh, you keep this attention and you, you know, it, it takes time in order to get into the deep topics. So, uh, so yeah, long content is important. Yeah. It, it, it's harder hitting, right? It's, you know, everybody can click on a, a two minute video, 
But when you, when you spend an hour plus with something, it means that you've sat down and committed um, and you take something from that. Even, even when you don't, you can't fully articulate what you took. It's something of it imprints itself on you and then leaves itself with you. And it helps you in your later understanding as you encounter other types of content. Um, and it helps you kind of form that, that worldview. So, you know, that long form content is important to have out there. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it uh, being done professionally, like with yourself. So, so thanks, man. I'm glad, glad you glad you've done it. And again, everybody that's uh, wanting to check it out. Um, the the Twitter handle if you're on Twitter right now at the great reset. A one. Is that right? Yeah, okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You can find and, it. You can find it on my Twitter profile as well, of course. Perfect. And then the website is thegreatresetfilm.com. Uh, and you can find all the stuff there. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. But um with that, and I also got to give a shout out to uh we're talking about all this uh high quality content. Uh and of course we we'd be remiss if we didn't mention also the low quality content content like yellow and the meme factory. Uh, putting out their episodes, interviewing people, or rather cornering them into a group of meme creators. Uh, so, so yellow, you're right. We got to tip the hat to the low quality content as well. So thanks, man. Um, let's keep this going. Of course, everybody in the chat, thanks. Keep the comments coming. Like, subscribe, share all the good stuff. But we're going to uh, dive down the line. Uh, Cal, you are next on my screen. Hopefully, I'm not surprising you. But uh, let's let's throw it to you, man. What are you excited about this week? What has you bullish? Uh, this week, I'm excited for you know, the Bitcoin for nation states. And I think uh, you know, I, that's actually been my interest for a while now. And just kind of looking at kind of you know, geopolitics and kind of what the world is going through. And you know, we have, what, 160 countries on the world, roughly, right? And, um, I know about 54 of them in, in Africa. And you know, we look at these countries, and um, even if you make the point that we might need some currencies at the nation state level for transactions, um, a lot of these countries don't have currencies that um, will survive, right? Um, even the strongest one, um, United States dollar, uh, we can reasonably argue that it'll be, you know, gone within 50 to 100 years, right? In terms of all of its value, right? I think the the Warren Buffetts and the, and the uh, Charlie Mungers have kind of um, also agreed on this <laughs> to where the United States dollar will slowly go to zero. And so, you know, what that means for countries, um, I think is going to be really important um, uh, because, you know, not only do you have relationships that are, um, you know, an individual uh, versus its state, but you have uh, states versus states, right? And um, that, of course, uh, you know, affects individuals. So to just kind of follow that, um, I think will be really interesting. Um, and, you know, hopefully with that comes not, you know, not, not just an element of, of watching, but also uh, supporting and serving, right? So civic engagement, right? Um, I think there's like, a, you know, kind of a popular quote, one person's, you know, civic engagement is another person's rent seeking. And I'm kind of also learning that in Ethiopia, right? How do I place myself? Where do I go? What type of examples do I set? And, you know, what things are am I doing for the community, and how how could that potentially um, not serve the community? Right, so kind of being careful <laughs> and walking um, kind of a thin line, 
um, because I think we're we're all very early and uh, we want to set uh, a good precedent and be good leaders. And um, and so, yeah, that nation state kind of conversation is really interesting to me. And um, and I think some of the developing countries are kind of the global south because they're so young, um, they're going to see um, some very quick adoption. Um, and so, you know, the things that, you know, Blockstream is doing with Samson Mao and, you know, El Salvador, you know, that's that's really interesting. So looking forward to follow all of that. I, I want to pose a question to you and I, you know, I, I'll kind of leave it open to whether or not you want to get into specifics. But when you're looking at, um, you know, the next domino to fall after El Salvador, are there are there areas either globally, like specifically um, geographically, I mean, um, that you think are particularly um, uh, more likely to to follow up with something similar to what El Salvador is, is doing? Do you have specific countries in mind? Or if you don't want to specifically comment, comment on that, um, what qualities in a country do you think lends them to do what El Salvador has done? Uh, well, one, I think, um, you know, the inflation rate is a good uh, measure as to us, you know, a, a populace's pain, right? And so once that, you know, passes 50 and heads towards 100, um, you know, all bets are off, right? Um, you'll, you'll start to do anything to, for, for your family, right? And, and Bitcoin is on the table and it's probably uh, an interesting and, and um, good alternative to the fiats. Um, what countries might be next? It's very hard for me to say. Um, uh, I won't speculate, but, um, you know, I also look at, you know, I've, I've been in Ethiopia for the past two months now, you know, supporting adoption, giving presentations, lectures, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I can already see that there is adoption here in a de facto sense, um, because you can use BitRefill, for example, to load up your telecom um, on your, you know, government-owned uh, telecom credit, right? So uh, it's already here uh, in, in terms of um, usage. So uh, we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it, it's funny with El Salvador. There was this. It happened, and then uh, it's, it's that age-old. Uh, people overestimate what can happen a, in a year and underestimate what can happen in a decade. And, uh, and, you know, El Salvador happens and everybody's like, end of the year, there's going to be like three, four, five, ten more countries that do this. And, you know, we came up with, with a donut. But I think what we're going to see in the coming years in, you know, again, the next decade could be pretty staggering. Um, and, and we see rumblings of it. We see things like smaller you know, like states or municipalities that are, are leaning towards adopting Bitcoin in some way, shape or form as as insignificant as it may seem in comparison to a full nation state. Any any of those mentions in the news prior to El Salvador, we'd all be salivating. Right. And so that that Overton window has totally shifted. We're like, it's not a country. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. But, um, it, you know, it, it, how quickly things change. And again, I, I think um, we'll, we'll see some other surprising things 
um, in, in the coming years and, and decade or so. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll open it up here uh, to anybody who wants to comment on the idea of nation state uh, adoption and, and countries that, that are particularly uniquely positioned to, uh, to move into the space for anybody who wants to dive in. Um, well, I mean, I can just share my experience with El Salvador. I've been here one week, um, so still early. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm still here for another three weeks to stay a month uh, total. Um, and yeah, so for me, like, you know, as, as I said, I just have a lifestyle where I travel. So I thought next destination before going to Miami would be great to, to come over here. And um, yeah, I think what you mentioned also, you know, what can happen in a year versus what can happen in 10 years. I think uh, even for a country that adopted Bitcoin the way El Salvador did, it's still very early, you know, like uh, around here, El Zante, Bitcoin Beach, I mean, I pay everything in Bitcoin. But uh, other than that, you know, a lot of people, they don't even understand it. They know that, of course, it's here, but it was mostly for tourism. And then I think that that's, you know, the truth. In fact, it was a, a lot to attract foreign, foreign investment and uh, increased tourism and the great, I mean, great idea in reality. But other than that, it's uh, it's not used that much uh, and uh, and they don't understand it so much. So, but, you know, this will come and it's coming more and more. And uh, I think Bitcoin is coming here. It's a great way to like help people. I mean, I'm planning on doing a screening uh, of my film at Bitcoin Beach. So, you know, the idea of just uh, spreading this information. That's great. Maybe, uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe in the future you can do another documentary on on uh, El Salvador the first ten years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that geopolitics yeah. is a really interesting angle for, for Bitcoin, and um, I too am very excited about nation state adoption. I think it's going to happen in a bit of a different way, though. Um, I don't think it's going to be the countries that run their own fiat currency and are inflating them that are going to be the most incentivized to switch over to a Bitcoin standard. I actually think it's going to be the 30 to 40 odd countries that import U.S. dollars um, and use U.S. dollars as their default currency. Because when they started doing this, this was really about having financial discipline, right? They knew that if they ran this themselves, it would be corrupted and destroyed to nothing. And, you know, they wanted the financial discipline of, of somebody who was a little bit bigger and more stable, uh, you know, outsource that liability to them. I think with Bitcoin, they can achieve the same thing, right? You know, that counterparty that they trusted originally is no longer as trusted as it was when they started these systems 30, 40 years ago. Um, and now Bitcoin gives them that same opportunity again to enact financial discipline have a stable and prosperous economy for everybody. I think, you know, the countries that are running the money printer are, are going to continue to run the money printer because there's a, a really, it's really hard to stop <laughs> running that thing once it keeps going. You know, if we look at Venezuela, uh, and they're the most inflationary country in the world. I don't think they're switching over to a Bitcoin standard anytime soon. You know, they're just going to keep pouring more and more gas on the fire. So, um, I think we should look out for those smaller um, countries that are utilizing the U.S. dollar and, you know, really want to make some some good long term investments in the country and adopting Bitcoin as a standard or a legal tender is a great way to do that. Change your unit account, change your time preference and focus on those long term investments that are going to bring, you know, great long term dividends to your country and your citizens. Yeah. Uh, and I like your point that. Uh... 
you know, they, they, a lot of these countries were dollarized for that, for that discipline, which has that discipline has been more or less thrown out the window the past couple of years. Um, but also there's the dynamic of they dollarized because that was the world reserve currency. And with current geopolitical shifts, that position is, is potentially not what it used to be um, and could continue to, to degrade relatively quickly, um, potentially in the coming years. So, uh, you know, in, in that instance, it, not everyone will, will obviously jump on, on the Bitcoin train, but there may be few as they're, as they're searching and deciding what, what's next, what replaces it. Um, those, some of those dollarized nations may, may think, well, you know, you know, it's been a few years and, El Salvador seems to be doing all right. Maybe, maybe it is a viable option. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. But uh, I'll uh, again, I'll open it up. Um, Cal or Chris, do you, do you want to uh, uh, touch on anything here? Yeah, I think it's it's really fun to speculate exactly which which countries going to adopt it next. Um, hear news from presidents. Hear news from governmental agencies about bullishness around the world geopolitically. Um, but overall, I think it's important to recognize that as bad as a country needs Bitcoin, um, they are more fearful of being a threat to the United States. Um, and what I mean by that is they would rather swallow the pill and not adopt Bitcoin than be viewed as a threat to the United States government due to the financial strength that the United States um and specifically NATO, the BIS, and the World Economic Forum have created on this dollarized system. Um, so I think that there are the outliers such as El Salvador, maybe Turkey, maybe Argentina that go out on a limb and adopt it. But I don't think that as long as that fear is there, that many nation states will um, put their neck on the line and go ahead and bite the bullet per se. But I think once the dominoes really start falling, um, they're going to fall really fast. Um, and once countries start adopting Bitcoin, I don't think we will see one adopt one year and then one adopt the next. I think when we see two or three countries adopt back to back to back, we're going to see 10 countries adopt that year, 20 countries. I really think that once that ball gets rolling, it's going to be an avalanche that truly can't be stopped. But to get to that point, I think that there is still a lot of work geopolitically that has to be done um, around the world. Yeah, I, I I think you also in the current um, in the in in the current environment you need you need like a YOLO head, a head of state like Bukele <laughs> to just to just be like yeah fuck it Bitcoin why not <laughs> like, I think I think you need a little bit of that. Of somebody who just who will shit post and and tweet at the IMF and tell them to go blow themselves like that's <laughs> I think it's necessary at this stage, but eventually you'll be able to have like a you know a, a, a relatively you know non backwards hat wearing <laughs> uh, president that just legitimately says hey you know this this is a a good play it's not outside the realm of, of reason to do this. Um, and I think it'll take, you know, a number of nations having done it and a track record of years 
of it having been a good call for that to be uh, a regular thing. So, so yeah, it, it, you're right. It's fair. It is early, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll cross our fingers. Uh, uh, I'll leave it up to any final comments, Pierre, if you want to uh, add in anything, Cal, if you have any final thoughts about what the other guys said. Um, well, just maybe uh, going back to what uh, Ben was saying, um, which um, uh, about these uh, USD uh, nations, right? Uh, it's just adding the, the fact that they're the countries that um, can indirectly suffer from you know, the U.S. increasing their monetary supply. They, the U.S. can do this uh, in order to, you know, put this money back in forms of stimulus, put it back in their economy and so on. They can get some benefits out of it, let's say, at least in the short term. Um, whereas all of these countries that are based on the U.S. dollar, they're only going to get the negative effects out of it and are completely... Um, uh, they, they have no power over it. And uh, I think that's the kind of thing that can lead to a, a fast shift. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, no, I couldn't have said it any better. I think um, that, uh, you know, I think these worldviews will, will start to shift and uh, will begin to have new borders and hopefully no borders and, you know, hopefully have, you know, identities that just exist, you know, by virtue of you being you and sovereign and, you know, you being, uh, um, you know, an interesting and able and valuable person in the world and, and you know, that that should be enough right if you have a bitcoin wallet you know you have uh, uh, enough tools to, to to build so um you know hopefully the the world looks something like that and uh and yeah, it'll be interesting awesome well uh, i think that's a good way to wrap this topic cal thank you for that one i'm i'm glad we we dove into this uh and uh just so you know uh david would like everybody to know that any real money would need to be backed by a physical thing that can't disappear. So gold is the only one left that fits the bill. Uh, so thank you, David. Um, you're right. The historical president of uh, backing paper money by gold has never been diminished or, or ruined by any individual. It has never uh, broken a peg. It's clearly the only solution. So thank you, David, for that. Uh, I, I value your input. Um, and uh, we're going to move on here. Uh, ben, you are up next, my friend. Uh, tell me, what, what are you excited about this week? What has you bullish? Yeah, so I mean, nothing, nothing that really broke this week, but it's, it's stuff that's been trending around, you know, lately in, in terms of the numbers. Um, no surprise, I'm really bullish on where the mining network is right now. Um, you know, we had a really scary period right after the China mining ban. Uh, where we lost 50% of hash rate almost overnight. A lot of uncertainty crept into the market and what was going to happen with China? What was going to happen with the manufacturers? What was going to be the value of this equipment? You know, when were we going to recover? But uh, we, you know, we're, we're there. I mean, it's been a, almost a year, but hash rate is a little bit north of where we were post China, or right before the China mining ban. Uh, we've had a huge major decentralization of hash rate all around the globe all across brand new facilities, new owners of that hash rate. Um, that's incredibly bullish thing for me. Uh, we've proven that anti-fragility aspect of the network through, you know, decentralized mining operations all over the world multiple times with the China mining ban and then Kazakhstan and then, you know, recently with a little bit of action in Ukraine and Russia. Um, and finally, we've got hardware prices that are starting to come back 
you know, down into a normal and more expected range. Um, we had incredibly high hardware prices going into the China mining ban. The China mining ban completely reversed the supply uh, constraints on new hardware, but the price didn't drop and the price, you know, uh, basically stayed flat for uh, the majority of the last year. We've only now over the last month or two months as we've been down here consolidating, uh, how we start to kind of get back to more reasonable levels. And, you know, now that we've had a lot of consolidation, both in the network and in price and in mining, I think it's an incredibly bullish thing looking forward. We're, we're ready to spring forward. All of these mining facilities are ready to look at, you know, hopefully incredibly high profits as Bitcoin is, is rallying up to previous and, and new all-time highs. Um, which makes me incredibly excited. And I think one of the things that uh, algorithms trade on, because there's so few real world variables to plug into Bitcoin, um, it's just not correlated to anything other than time. What else do you, what else do you plug in? I think people plug in things like network hash rate. And so when China mining ban happens and there's a 50% drop in hash rate, you know, I think algos go into panic mode, not knowing what to do and start panic selling. Um, you know, now we've kind of recovered from all of those positions and we're, we're at a much higher ratio. Uh, the most secure the Bitcoin mining network has ever been is, is right now today. Uh, I just incredibly bullish on all those aspects of mining. I'm wondering if you can uh, talk a little bit about um, that distribution of hash uh, geographically, because we saw um, where was where was China at in terms of percentage of hash uh, compared to the rest of the world, and and how have we kind of seen that play out? Where did that hash kind of uh, get distributed? Yeah, I mean, China was a little bit north of of half of the network. It's unclear where. I think it's it's around 70 percent, but it. You know, there's a pretty decent margin of error in that in that prediction. Um, we did see a 50% drop in hash rate, you know, so there should be approximately 50% of that hash rate that was turned off. But, uh, you know, some of it would have been turned off in stages. Certainly some of it was never turned off at all. Um, so it's a little bit unclear. But what we have seen is that miners have gone to North America. Uh, a lot of miners have come to the United States and Canada. Uh, we've got, you know, mining coming into South America. We're here in South America right now. I think there's great opportunities uh, to come down here. You've got um, new opportunities, I think, on the sovereign side where countries are finally realizing, you know, here's a product that I can actually manufacture and export kind of irregardless of, of, of any other national competitive factor other than power, right? And something that's that's a lot easier to leapfrog than trying to develop a whole new industry and in, in, in technology. So that's why, you know, Bukele can, can start mining on, on volcanoes um, in El Salvador. You've got, um, who is it? Um, Lord Fujitsu in Tonga, who's also talking about doing the exact same thing down there in Tonga. You know, they're going to go wherever the power is. Um, but primarily it's, it's U.S. and Canada. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll give you one more short question and then we'll open it up to the panel. So the other thing I was, I was chatting with uh, actually one of the guys that I met here in Costa Rica, the, the topic came up of um, 
is there, and, and I, I don't see it as much of a, a, a threat, but do you want to talk a little bit of, of, about the dynamics of if there were to be some type of, and we saw this early on and then reverse course, I believe with Marathon, um, about only mining certain types of transactions or certain types of blocks or excluding certain transactions from blocks that uh, miners in certain jurisdictions were, what would be if if a a subset of the hash rate of the network were to attempt to exclude certain types of transactions that they uh, for some reason didn't want to include in blocks, whether it be you know it's it's not um, approved transactions based on a jurisdiction or whatever, what would be the the net effect? What what do you think the game theory would be that would play out there? Let's say if if the U.S. and and some Western nations said only approved transactions will be mined in our blocks. Well, I, I don't think that, I mean, that can, might happen in terms of, this is a goal that we want to accomplish. It can't really happen in terms of practically enforcing it, right? And so there's always a big difference between what the law says and what they actually are able to enforce and enact. And you can write a law that doesn't make sense technically. Um, they make lots of laws that don't make any sense. You know, that doesn't necessarily, it's, it's not really a prerequisite for making a law. Um, but what I would say is that you know, generally speaking, there's no incentive for me as a miner to support that. And so how are they going to get us to do that, right? I'm incentivized to preserve Bitcoin and to secure the Bitcoin network from these kind of egregious attacks. And all the other miners around the world are equally incentivized to do so. It's when we stop, you know, uh, and start filtering out and censoring things that we're actually not communicating on the same language anymore, right? We're not communicating on the same uh, bandwidth anymore. And so if, if people did that, you know, they would eventually have to, you know, I would assume either fork out or, or become irrelevant. You know, um, we've seen lots of forks on Bitcoin in the past, trying to accomplish all sorts of crazy ideas. Um, and none of them have been successful. Um, you know, you can look at, at Bitcoin Cash today. I think it's like 3% of Bitcoin's hash rate. And then you can look at Bitcoin SV and I think it's 3% of Bitcoin Cash's hash rate. You know, these are these are very unsuccessful projects. Um, and if a ban did come into place or a regulation did come into place on the exchange, I think you'd get a lot of country arbitrage taking place at the pool level. Um, you know, like what you saw with the crypto exchanges uh, especially as they left China, they bounced around a lot. I mean, one month Binance is in China, then it's in Hong Kong, then it's in Singapore, then it's in Malta. You, you, can, you can really move the company around very quickly and change a lot of the, uh, the rules and the regulations that you're subject to. And there's, there's lots of countries out there. Um, one of them or many of them are going to be supportive of this and it's going to become like whack-a-mole. Uh, it's just not going to be enforceable at all. Not, not to mention that uh, as the block size uh, or the, the block reward diminishes and more and more of the uh, reward is just transaction fees over time, um, if you're excluding specific transactions, it just means that those transactions will pay a higher fee to get into a block in a nation or a, a constituency that will do the block, yeah. which means your percentage of the rewards for mining is going to dwindle because you're excluding that that high reward for including for sure. those transactions in your blocks. 
And that's that's what's beautiful about Bitcoin and mining and, yeah. and it being, you know, permissionless and open. And, you know, we don't care whose transaction we're processing. All transactions are the same, um, you know, and there's an incentive to preserve that. So if they want to choose to do that, they're not going to maximize profit and, and they'll eventually get wiped out. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll open it up to, uh, you know, Pierre, Cal, Chris, I don't know if you want to tag in with anything or if you have any other questions for Ben regarding mining, given that he's the guru, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, what I find very interesting about mining and how it's de developing is just the incentives that are there for miners, right? Um, that, um, so it incentivizes the whole energy market to just become more green, right? And uh, uh, so it will put big miners at the center of um, this uh, energy shift that governments have been supposedly pushing for years uh, and also put them down the road at the center of the money creation, right? Because, you know, we, of course, believe in a world where Bitcoin will be in the middle. And that's, in fact, uh, maybe a question to, to you, Ben, is... Um, uh, is it already happening and to what point or when do you think could happen the shift of rather than miners looking for the cheap energy and contacting energy producers um, uh, turning to energy producers contacting miners in order to stabilize the grid and you know be able to leverage this cheaper energy themselves like is there already this, sh this shift happening as bit farms being contacted already or when do you see this really growing because i think this is when the uh, hash rates will potentially increase even more, right? Once this, these big players uh, themselves get into this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a great point. The um, the vertical integration with the energy industry is really key. If you're thinking long term about Bitcoin mining economics and a re, you know a reward having every four years, obviously, unless the price continues to outpace. Um, the uh, the network by a considerable amount, you know, you're going to have compressed margins, right? And margins that get continuously smaller over time. So you're going to need cheaper and cheaper sources of power. Um, and that can only really come from monetizing that that energy that nobody else is using. So the vertical integration is here. I mean, we've been curtailing at some of our farms in Quebec since I think 2018, uh, maybe even 2017. And at the beginning of this year, uh, the program was so successful over the past couple of years, it was implemented across the entire province at every single mine. Um, Texas is doing the same things. They have all sorts of curtailment programs uh, for Bitcoin miners. And so it's really starting to enter um, into the mainstream space. Uh, you'd be surprised how many oil and gas companies and energy companies, power plant companies are doing their own small mining projects and, and pilot projects. Um, you know, these are massive companies. They don't need to press release something so small. Um, they can do this under the radar. They can get comfortable with it. And I think what they're all learning uh, or have already learned is that Bitcoin mining should be seen as like a buyer of energy uh, or a buyer of last resort for your energy. And so, you know, energy is a um, very interesting market. It's, it's, it's energy is very easily stored, but electricity is not. And so once you've converted it into electricity, it's a flow of electrons. You can't really put that genie back in the bottle so cost effectively. Um, and, and Bitcoin mining is a way to maximize utility and, and get all that full financial value out of it, um, which is a boon for, for everybody. It will reduce our costs. It will increase their profitability. It will incentivize more production, more development, more power generation, uh, which should lead to 
you know, increasing levels of, of human flourishing uh, all over the world. Every time there's increases in, in power development um, and energy utilization, you have huge increases in human flourishing. I think this is what Bitcoin mining is, is really incentivizing. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to share one thing. I, I just saw, saw it shortly before we came on here. And it was from Troy Cross, who was on the show last week. Um, he tweeted out this. Uh, According to Cambridge, there's enough flared gas to power five Bitcoin networks, all while converting methane to CO2. Methane is 80 times uh, as warming as CO2 over 20 years. Uh, methane is responsible for one third of all warming which would be a, a huge win, uh, contrary to what most mainstream uh, individuals believe, uh, that, that Bitcoin can actually be helpful in terms of preventing emissions or, 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 or lowering their effects, um, which, is, which is fantastic. I don't know, Ben, if, it, if that doesn't seem uh, correct oh. to you or... No, it's, it's right. I mean, my, when I met you, Ben, I was working with that, my previous company, Lutech in Alberta, and this is what we were doing. We were doing containerized Bitcoin mining for flare gas mitigation, because this is a, this is a brilliant merger uh, of many different things. And if you're, if you're a government uh, or an NGO or, or something along those lines, and your goal is to reduce emissions, you know, ignore every argument as to why you're reducing emissions. It's irrelevant. If your goal is to reduce emissions, is there a better technology on the planet for you for doing that other than Bitcoin mining at flare gas? I mean, it's, there's no better technology on the planet that actually provides a private economic incentive to anybody with this resource to reduce that emission right? Every other technology on the planet to reduce emissions is funded by public subsidy. This is the only natural economic incentive that exists in the world to reduce your own emissions. So it's lining proper moral economic behavior, you know, with actual real world results. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful thing. Damn. That's, uh, that's, it's, 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 so interesting when you see the again the incentive structure that that exists here. But uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll pass it to uh, I don't know if, if Chris or Cal if you want to add anything in or ask a question. Uh, feel free now. This now's the time. Yeah, I have a a little add on and which will kind of lead into a question. Um, I think it's humorous that you just showed Troy. Um, I was actually about to talk about the BPI and what him and David Zell and Grant McCarthy are really doing to. Um, counter all the FUD that's going on with Bitcoin mining. And I guess my question for um, you, both Ben's, if anybody really has an input on this, um, I guess the first question is, do we, do we need to have a loud voice? And if the answer is yes, then how do we get our voice louder? Um, and I think there's institutions like the BPI, the BAC that are doing really, really good work with this, Nick Carter in particular. Um, but clearly that voice is not loud enough because maybe our five person circle right here can bat bat off ideas with each other and agree on things but most people don't and that's the reality of the situation that most people that don't know about bitcoin think that bitcoin is bad for the environment they just do um people who don't own bitcoin no coiners um people who are from the ages 10 to 70 who really don't care about finance or investments at all you know um 
they they think that it's bad for the environment. So I I guess yeah, I'll leave it at that, Ben, if you want to touch on that at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's it's a great point. You know, this Bitcoin mining will boil the oceans uh, narrative is a really frustrating one um, because it's it's just overwhelming how much they beat the same drum over and over and over again. Um, I, I've written a couple of pieces on it uh, for Bitcoin Mag and, you know, looking into where this all came from and what's the source of it. I mean, it pretty much all comes from one source and it's it's Digiconomist. And it's just taken with no analysis, no critical thought. It's just taken verbatim. Um, but, you know, he's, it's, it's fraudulent. Um, it doesn't follow his own stated methodology. You can look at his numbers. None of the numbers make any sense. We have a 50% drop in China mining ban and emissions and electricity consumption went up. How do you have a 50% drop in network hash rate and an increase in electricity consumption and emissions? In order for that to happen, you'd have to replace all the newest machines with all the oldest crap. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, so he calls us greedy. And at the same time, we're ignoring profitability and we're doing what's in our worst interest. It's really frustrating. But I think the, the difference is with Bitcoiners and, and most of the other world is, you know, they're so engaged in narrative and Bitcoin's so engaged in building that the people who are working in Bitcoin, they're, they don't really care. They're shutting it out. They, they know that it's nonsense. They know it's noise. And they're saying, I'm focusing on building what I think is going to bring value to a whole network and community of people around the world. And that's what's going to prove them wrong. And that's what's going to drive Bitcoin uh, value up. You know, it's really hard to fight against a narrative when it's it's coming from so much unlimited funding and it has intense bias. Um, I, I don't know who is going to be that, that great voice of reason. I think we're gonna have to prove them wrong uh, with the math and with the numbers and with, with real world facts. Um, because it's by the time you debunk one, one thing, they've already put out four or five other things based on the first thing that you debunked. And, and now you got to play catch up. Um, so I think the narrative game is really hard, but I think companies like, like, you know, BitFarm's using the curtailment and, and balancing out the grid and, and Canada is doing good things. CleanSpark in the United States on flared gas, Great American Mining, um, Upstream Data. I mean, there's, there's tons of these companies out there that are doing this work, that are getting the story out there with boots on the ground and, and containers on the ground. So I think that's really what's going to um, change the narrative at the end of the day. It's at, and again, our, our, our friend in the comments, David is, I think a victim of some of these narratives, right? Like we see him, him saying, which we hear is the, the fallacy of, of each Bitcoin transaction consumes X amount of energy where there's actually no linkage between the amount of power consumption and, and an individual Bitcoin transaction. And, and narratives like that completely ignore the idea of layer two networks, which facilitate you know, the like lightning network, millions, potentially millions of transactions per second. Like if, if you know, with, with proper liquidity and everything, um, it ignores all of those, those um, metrics that, that allow for much greater capacity. It ignores um, 
the idea of, of things like batching transactions. It ignores the fact that, again, there's no specific correlation between the amount of energy. There's a base amount of energy that it will take to secure the network. And whatever happens on top of that is whatever happens on top of that. Um, and there won't be a need for additional um, energy on top of that uh, per se, uh, you know, once it kind of hits that, that equilibrium, um, we don't know kind of where, where that, that energy demand will go at some point. But it, again, there's no direct correlate correlation between number of transactions and energy per transaction. It's just kind of a, a moot point. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin For miners sure. get more efficient. There's, there's so many different things in here that, that are at play. I'm I'm 100% certain David got this from DigiEconomist website. Um, 100% certain, and it's you're right. It, it ignores all those other scaling aspects of of layer two of side chains of of all these other things. It ignores all the transactions that take place on exchanges, you know, which is effectively its own little side chain. Um, I mean, this is it's it's a really silly and and bizarre concept to try and attach it to those metrics because it's 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 pretty ignorant. Um, it's not really what, what Bitcoin miners do. I mean, I, I know we process transactions, but that's only one part of what we do. Really, what we're doing is we're manufacturing security. And, you know, when when we are enabling transactions to be processed at the exact same time, we're preventing unlimited amounts of fraudulent transactions from being processed. That's That's the reality, right? Because we're enabling people to be able to send the Bitcoins that they own and they can prove that they own. We're also making sure that nobody can send your Bitcoins if they can't prove that they own them, right? And that's the real value that we're bringing to the network. In addition to processing transactions, we're preserving it and making sure that nobody took your transactions every single 10 minutes. We're preserving your Bitcoin in your wallet. We're manufacturing that security. And this is the only asset in the world whose security can scale in perpetuity indefinitely as Bitcoin's price goes up, you know, relative to the value of the asset as a whole. You, there's there's no other asset in the world that can do that. You can't just keep adding inches of steel to the gold vault. You know, I mean, it, there's no extra security there. Um, Bitcoin's the only net, the only asset in the world that does that. Awesome. Well, uh, is there anybody else that has any comments, questions they want to throw in before we round up the topic? I don't know if, uh, if anybody does. I think we're all set. Okay. Well, uh, Ben, I'm so glad that you uh, were on here to, uh, to to chat about mining because it's um, it's it, it's between you and if I ever get Steve Barber on or Marty Bent or or uh, uh, Adam, aka Denver Bitcoin. Um, I always love the insights that that come from this because it's it's a concept that, um, it, as far as Bitcoin goes, is is very foreign to me um, because I've never dove into mining myself, which is a, a goal of mine this year to to get a better understanding of that and actually get my hands dirty with it. But um, uh, yeah, I appreciate the topic and uh, and I hope uh, a few people. Learned a few things uh, from that little chat, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep us rolling, and we're gonna we're gonna move on to our final topic. So that means Chris, uh, you are up, um, dude. What are you excited about this week? What has you bullish? Awesome. Well, um, thank you again for having me on, and I felt as if it would be a shame to 
not talk about um, exactly why you brought me on, which was my article that I wrote back in February about um, my fraternity adopting Bitcoin, putting it on, on our balance sheet and accepting dues in Bitcoin through the Lightning Network. Um, and I thought for being bullish, there's nothing more right to talk about than an application layer of a real world example of how Bitcoin made someone's life or in an organization's life easier and gave them custody of their assets back. Um, so I'm going to tell a short little story about kind of why we did that and why I'm so bullish about Bitcoin for not only fraternities, but just student organizations and organizations in general around the world who currently don't have control of their assets and their ability to get it back. Um, so this past summer, we ran into an issue. Um, like I said, I'm an executive of a fraternity um, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, we were receiving donations from our alumni um, in order to fund the next year and do events. And we do a lot of service work um, with the different special needs programs in Nashville. Um, so we needed money for that. And we were raising money through alumni and the only way that we were able to get money from the alumni was through a wire transfer to an on-campus bank account, which the school then told us that we were not allowed to actually custody that money or those assets. We had to invoice back out of the school and we never actually controlled those dollars at all, even though they were being donated to us. And we as an organization didn't view ourselves inside the school necessarily because most of what we do actually does not relate to the school at all um so we went in custody of those assets and me and my friend his name is sean hagan he's one of the smartest guys i've ever met um he was also an executive alongside me and we said what's a better way than uh follow sailor suit and do the sailor strat on this so we decided okay, well, if you're not going to give us custody of our assets, then we're going to put in the Bitcoin and we're going to take that custody back. Um, and that's what we did. And we put all those donations that we had into Bitcoin. We bought the dip. Um, we gained back custody of our assets and we created ourselves to be the Trojan horse for student organizations all across the world to follow in our footsteps and gain custody back of their assets. Um, and that's why I'm bullish on Bitcoin, because if it can help a little student organization in Nashville, Tennessee, think about what it can do for the Ukrainian refugees, right? Think about what it can do for the Russian citizens. It's just over and over again this past year, I've seen real world use case after real world use case on why Bitcoin actually is changing the world. Uh, and if you look at Russia, uh, Ukraine specifically, I was talking to my friend and he's abroad right now in Europe. Um, and he was in a train station the other day. And he said there were thousands of Ukrainians um, in the train station. They are complete refugees and all they have is the shirt on their back. That's all they have left. They brought with them nothing and they couldn't bring their wealth, right? Why? Because they don't have Bitcoin. And this is Bitcoin is actually the solution to that to custody all around the world. Um, 
of being able to retain your wealth no matter what tyranny is above you, whether that's as small as a school in Nashville, Tennessee, or as large as the Russian government, right? That And that's kind of like what my point is with saying all this, that Bitcoin is the greatest custodian of all time. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm bullish and that's my real world example. Um, so I'd love to hear what you all have to say. And if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. It's crazy to me that this was the situation for you, even within your school. And it's 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 cool because, again, it's like a, 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 a micro example of how important self-custody is and how Bitcoin provides that. It's like the, the most extreme uh, uh, version of, of property ownership that you can partake in, right? It's, it's just... You, you, when the legacy system fails you, whether that be, um, you know, having to go through a school um, to, to custody your assets, which you never actually have control of, up to, um, you know, certain donations being deemed illegal, uh, up to escaping your country with, with your wealth. Um, it's it's wild how many examples you're right uh, have been presented in in the past couple of years of this is why this aspect of Bitcoin is indeed important. Um, I, <laughs> again, I'm just wondering, like, why don't they want you to custody donations that are specifically going to the fraternity? Like, did they give like a specific, hey, this isn't allowed because or was it like this is just how it is? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is why I think um, I'm pretty sure written in some pretty small fine print somewhere in the contract um, says something along the lines of this. We're going to take a certain percentage of this donation and house it as the school um, due to being the custodian of this asset. So it's actually and it's not just like because I did a lot of research into this after it actually happened to us. And it's funny because these student organizations provide so many donations to the school. Think about the alumni that donate to the school that um, fundraise to build the buildings to um, pay their teachers. You know, most of the, the actual profit that a school has isn't from tuition. It's from donations from alumni. And most of those alumni um, in schools all across America and all across the world were a part of student organizations. And now the school wants to be the bank on that student organization and earn a little fee. And it's just funny because I, I just feel like it's such a the epitome of the fiat world, truly. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Gatekeepers and middlemen inserting themselves into situations and what was initially a, a probably a oh we you know we can we can do this for you and then oh we're gonna we'll we'll take a small fee for doing that because there's some admin to oh you don't no you have to do it this way because you know we we are taking a fee from it <laughs> so again like just an easy way to sidestep it is just not even a, use a currency that they can they're even capable of dealing with. Um, which is fantastic. I love it. But uh, I'll, I'll open it up to everybody else. Anybody want to tap in, ask a question, anything that you, you found yeah. interesting? Here? I, 
I really liked uh, Chris's example. Um, one, it reminds me of, you know, being in a fraternity and kind of uh, trying to, you know, test the limits of the system, right? But also, um, you know, when you look at, you know, past 20, 30 years of, of Africa's history, um, when you look at South Africa and what they went through during apartheid, um, they had a real ally um, in student organizations and student, student groups in the West. Um, so you had, you know, different university uh, campus students um, standing up and saying, you know, uh, we want divestment, right? We don't want our endowment funds um, to be put in, you know, pension stocks and X, Y, and Z that, you know, have something to do with, uh, um, you know, this blood money, right? So, you know, Chris standing up and, and, and saying, you know, there's a better way of doing this. There's a more sovereign way of taking custody. Uh, and there's a better uh, value system, um, I think, you know, resonates all around the world. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, his actions can, can kind of lead to, you know, divestment of terrible fiat currencies and, um, and you know, lead into to Bitcoin adoption. So that's a really good story and a really good example. And, um, and hopefully it, it, you know, uh, it resonates with more people. Awesome. Yeah, I also think um, something super important to resonate, kind of like what you said, is most people won't adopt it until they really need it, until they feel the pressure, right? Um, and I think the Canadian Truckers Convoy, I know Sessions, you, you were a huge part of that. And I think that really opened up a lot of people's eyes because they felt that pressure and they felt it hard and they felt it fast. Um, and just like we did, and it's such a micro example, like you said, but once you feel that pressure of the legacy system, um, you can really appreciate and understand and have the wherewithal to get on a Bitcoin standard, whether it's your organization, yourself, your company, et cetera. But yeah. No, I'm, ben, I think I'm, you know. Chris, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on your story. Not going to lie. I mean, you know, 12 years ago, I was in college and had an opportunity to buy Bitcoin uh, from a fellow classmate in business school who was just mining on his gaming PC in his dorm and selling it for beer money. Um, I had a good chance to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin with a friend of mine for about 73 cents uh, per Bitcoin. And, oh. you know, we decided, oh. uh, you know, we'd also like the beer money. So um, that's actually how I got started is, is this terrible experience with, with Bitcoin and watching it go to... 1200 and back down to 200 and getting scammed and all sorts of things. So to hear you 12 years later as a fraternity, converting your fraternity over into a Bitcoin standard and uh, using Bitcoin as a unit of account for your parties and beer, I, I think that's just, that's just great and incredibly bullish. Uh, good on you. Love it. Well, thank you. Um, and we do use Strike. I know Sessions was um, kind of promoting Strike a little bit earlier, but Strike is the way. It's the new Venmo. Um, this makes you bullish as well. I don't Venmo my friends. If we go out for a beer, if we go order a pizza, I request them on Strike. Talk about a little tide shift there. Um, I do believe it starts with the younger generations, and Strike is a better Venmo. Sorry, it just is. <laughs> Love it. They might hate me, but uh, I, I don't even know what Venmo is. I <laughs> Bitcoin. Good, good. <laughs> Pierre, you can dive in. 
Yeah, I think it is quite an epic story. In fact, I wish I had a story like that. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and, and in general, yeah, it speaks just as to um, how we can become just sovereign individuals, right? Whether as an individual, but also as a community or group of people. And uh, and it's it's awesome. It's this kind of story that uh, has to be pushed forward a bit because uh, people don't necessarily understand it. And to your point with people from Ukraine, that's uh, um, I grew up and lived most of my life in Poland. So it's the neighboring country. A lot of people from Ukraine are, are entering Poland now. So it's a lot in you know, all my friends' feeds and so on. And, and if they knew this was a possibility before this crisis happened you know maybe some would have gone for it and because anyone can do it right i'm myself on a bitcoin standard and just got rid of all of my property and just go around right so it's doable literally anyone can do it so it's the kind of story that has to be that has to be pushed and it's uh, it's a great one well uh yeah i love that topic and again it's just a, a so so cool to see the same concept playing out on, on so many different scales um, and, you know, as localized as, as a fraternity and as wide reaching as, as the outbreak of war um, as a tool for people that are impacted by that. So uh, yeah, really, really incredible to hear. Um, I think what I'm going to do now is I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap, but I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to, uh, go ahead and we'll do a quick round of, of just any final thoughts that you may have on anything that was said today. I'm going to put a challenge to you guys. I, I tend to do this. Um, and uh, it, it's basically a challenge to uh, recommend a, a piece of content, whatever that may be. Um, we've been talking a bunch about content, um, but I'm my challenge is not your own content because I know that everybody here has a piece of content that they've made, uh, but a piece of content that you've enjoyed that uh, you think people should check out. It could be uh, recent. It can be uh, from forever ago, whatever comes to mind, um, then, then feel free to share. So uh, in terms of final thoughts, again, a uh, great panel all around uh, really cool to see people, um, taking the initiative and, and basically plugging in them and their, their efforts to Bitcoin in different ways. Um, and it's, it's always such a, a cool thing to see such unique perspectives. Um, in terms of content, uh, I wanted to, this just dropped earlier today. Didn't realize, but um, regarding that, we just mentioned the, the convoy uh, reason did a piece uh, like a, a, a 13 minute documentary on basically what happened with that or what's, what's ongoing and happening with it. Um, and I thought it was really well done and, and balanced. They talked to me, they talked to, uh, to Nick, AKA nobody caribou. And um, they talked to JW as well. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it's, it's an interesting piece. And um, I think they looked at it really objectively and, uh, and, and yeah. Uh, so, so thanks to Zach for interviewing me and interviewing the other individuals and uh, putting this together because it was great. Uh, I retweeted it so you can just find it on my Twitter account. So um, with that, let's go down the line. Uh, I'm going to go to Pierre first. Um, any final thoughts for the day? And uh, what would you like to recommend to people if you have something? 
no, in, in general, it was really, really cool to be on. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's great to meet everyone. Um, I really liked uh, what Ben mentioned. Of I never thought of it this way: how miners manufacture security. That was really cool. I like it. Um, now, and in general, I think in terms of content, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that goes around on Twitter. I think that there's one that many Bitcoiners haven't read, even though they've been hardcore Bitcoiners. Is the, just the Bitcoin white paper. <laughs> so uh, just at least people should do their homework and <laughs> reread it at least, because it has to be read minimum once, you know, twice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Cal, how about you? Any final thoughts uh, and anything to recommend? Uh, final thoughts, just, um, you know, to, to piggyback off of uh, what Ben was saying, um, just how important mining is. And uh, I'd like to see, you know, countries like Ethiopia move into mining. Um, we just put, you know, I think about 6,000 uh, megawatts uh, into the system, um, or I think we might be on the first phase now. So, Hydroelectrica energy will be kind of a big thing for us. So putting that to work, um, uh, you know, having the electricity grid kind of stabilize um, and increasing uh, electricity energy for for everyone in Ethiopia is going to be really important. Um, in terms of content, um, I really enjoy Alex Gladstein. Um, he writes uh, a lot of articles for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, he's done uh, several pieces on you know, Cuba, China. Uh, uh, Sudan, Nigeria, Ethiopia. So uh, I think the article um, I enjoy is called Check Your Financial Privilege. Um, and it talks about, you know, surveillance and security and, and all of these kind of interesting, dramatic things that, that, that we see. So um, that's a good piece of content I would recommend. Uh, he actually just dropped his book of the same name. That's right. Uh, I haven't read it yet, um, but it, it, I think uh, yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's on Amazon now on paperback. So uh, I'm picking up a copy. So yeah, if and part of that uh, will be donated to the Human Rights Foundation. So if anybody wants to pick up a copy, just search "Check Your Financial Pri Privilege" by Alex Gladstein on Amazon, and you'll be able to grab it there. Um, awesome! Thanks for bringing that up too. Uh, ben, you are up. Any final thoughts? And uh, what would you like to recommend for people to check out? Yeah, um, just one final thought. I kind of thinking about it after we, we ended the topic with with the nation states um, and who's likely to go next. I just want to remind everyone, you know, the the incentives as an individual in a country versus the incentives for a country to go to a Bitcoin standard are very, very different. And they're likely going to be inversely related. So, you know, the people who are most likely to want to benefit and, and go to a Bitcoin standard are going to be those in a hyperinflationary country, but the, the government's going to have very little incentive change over. And, you know, same in the reverse, it's going to be a country who wants to gain back their financial sovereignty and, and financial discipline and control. They're going to want to de-dollarize and, and Bitcoinize. Um, and, you know, it's going to be the people who are in the country who are going to see, you know, be less incentivized to switch over just because, you know, it's for them, it's it's new and untested. So the incentives are, are, are going to be in the inverse. And I think we should we should watch out for that and understand it. You know, so as these uh, things play out, it's, you know, maybe a little bit easier to understand. Um, as as for content, um, Balmy Investor put out a pretty good piece on hashratepriceindex.com. They've got a blog, pretty technical, but there's a lot of cool stuff happening right now about trying to understand what mining is worth and the mining economics and publicly traded miners. He does a pretty cool job of, of going through that. 
Um, and then, you know, if nobody has uh, on the, the noob side of things, um, if you're looking for some content, you know, to, to try and educate people and, and, and orange pill people, I, the, the one thing that's worked for me the most is actually Mike Maloney's uh, Hidden Secrets of Money. He does a really good job of, um, you know, logically going through the problem, the solution, um, and he does it in a way that's clear and simple for somebody with zero you know, starting knowledge to, uh, to digest and understand. So I've, I've always found that to be a good piece to, to, to view and share. I love that you brought that up. Cause I, I, that was one of my early series that I dove into, um, as I was getting down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I, uh, I mean, not super early. It was a couple of years in, but I, I went through all of those and I loved them. So, uh, glad you brought that one up, but, um, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's grab Chris last. Any final thoughts and uh, and and anything you'd like to recommend? Yeah, um, I guess just one short final thought, and that's um, the best Bitcoin conversations usually happen in a bear market, um, which I think this is a prime example of tonight. I thought this was a really good conversation, but some people just don't stick around when the price is super high. Um, I think it goes to show the ones who are really working on stuff and the ones who are only in it to make money. Um, but yeah, um, as far as content goes sessions, I linked, um, the declaration of monetary independence in the private chat. Um, if you want to pull that up real quick, um, so this is actually really cool news. Um, and I guess, I guess it's public now. Yeah. Um, Ulrich, um, Ulrich Patillo, um, Mike Hobart and Mark Mariah, uh, Mark Goodwin and I were all on the what we like to call the Domi Committee. Um, and basically we are in charge of spreading the word of the Declaration of Monetary Independence. And we kind of announced in the last couple of days that we are gonna have a 20 by 30 foot version of this in Miami and people are gonna sign it. So we're gonna have thousands of Bitcoiners all over the world come and sign this document, 20 by 30 version. Um, some of the artists at Bitcoin Magazine have developed like a really cool version of it with a 1776 vibe. Um, and this is going to be going down in Miami in April. Um, I hope we could get 20,000 signatures on this thing. I think that would be super dope. So um, yeah, declaration of monetary independence.org go there, sign it, um, put your name on a document. You never know what this document could do. And um, just putting, Putting declarations out there, I think, is such a good thing. And I think um, it's really good that it's happening in Miami because this is going to be the largest gathering, like I said earlier, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners in the world ever. So be looking out in Miami. Go sign the declaration while you're there. <laughs> I love that. I'm for sure going to go do that. Uh, yeah, that's great, man. I'm going to have to take a look through that. Uh, that. That's really cool, though. And I think it's a really unique idea. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you <laughs> glad you brought it up. Um, sweet, guys. Well, again, I, I've got to say thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate that you all took the time to come and, and chat for a couple hours here. Um, loved the topics, loved all the conversation. And of course, all of you are welcome back anytime. Uh, so again, thank you guys very much. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Cheers. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. Awesome. And uh, uh, I'm going to kill all your audio video uh, right now. But uh, again, thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. 
Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Cheers. Um, and everybody watching, thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, Friday, always favorite part of my week. I get to hang out with Bitcoiners. What, like, what more could you possibly ask for? Uh, greatest part of my week, obviously. Um, if you haven't already, like, subscribe, share. All those things are super important. They really, really do help the show. They help get more eyeballs on it. Uh, all of the guys that were on the show today, all of their Twitter handles are linked in the show notes down below. And they've got a ton of great stuff that they're working on. So follow them. Check them out. Check out Pierre's film. Check out uh, the blog from, uh, uh, you know, check out the, the blog regarding the the um, the fraternity uh, and the monetary uh declaration of independence um check out cal and what he's doing um go and check out ben and bit farms uh there's just so so much knowledge and so, a wealth of knowledge there to check out so for sure go follow all those gents in the show notes down below um of course if you want to help the show in another way you can hit up the previously mentioned sponsors down below uh do i dare try to uh list them off all right now yeah sure uh shake pay leaden bit refill uh, Bill Fottle at privacypros.io and the Keystone wallet. They're all linked down below. And if you really liked what you saw, you can always drop me a Bitcoin tip at my strike page. That is strike.me slash BTC sessions. You go there, type in any amount you want, hit the tip button. You will be greeted with a lightning invoice or if you tap to the right, a regular Bitcoin QR code. Uh, so with that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful day or evening, wherever you may be. See you guys next time for your daily session. Hold the Bitcoin.